the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. It's so good to have you with us today. Uh, normally joined by Aubrey Sampson, but Aubrey is out sick today. Hopefully she will be better soon. But I am thrilled to be joined by Dr. Terrence Lester. Uh, Terrence is the author of a new book called All God's Children, and he's the founder of Love Beyond Wall. Terrence, how are you doing today, friend? I am doing well. Thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah. We had you on before, and it was always it was great to have you on. And we talked about Love Beyond Walls, but let's remind people. Tell us about this organization. What is it you guys do, and how did you? Why did you start this organization in the first place? Yeah, well, Love Beyond Walls is an organization that advocates uh, for and on behalf of those experiencing homelessness. Uh, we would consider ourselves a community ministry. Uh, we have a center where, you know, community members come for housing to reclaim their identification cards uh, to be received. Right. And experience mm-hmm. uh, the love of God in a way that affirms, uh, you know, a person's inherent sense of worth and dignity. Uh, people come for showers, for access mm-hmm. to food, for something as simple as tennis shoes. Right. And mm-hmm. so we've been in a community uh, walking with people who are unhoused for almost a decade. And we've wow. seen hundreds of people uh, get off the streets and we've mobilized thousands of volunteers. But, you know, in essence, for me, the heartbeat of our organization and what makes it uh, really tangible is that we get a chance to show up and remind people that they are loved by God. Mm. How powerful. Can you remind me? I feel like I read or heard that you guys did stuff with just hand sanitizers. And it really gets at you guys meeting tangible needs that people probably don't even think about. Tell us that story. Yeah. So uh, when the pandemic first hit back in 2020, uh, you know, people were scrambling, trying to figure out what this was, this new virus. But also the CDC was telling people to wash your hands. That's just the basic Mm -hmm. thing you can do to protect yourself. And uh, I'll never forget Dimitri walking into our community center and he was in tears and said that he thought he was going to pass away because he had nowhere to wash his hands. He was unhoused. And so oh. that sparked this idea of how can we show up for our neighbors without an address? And so we started building uh, these portable hand washing stations. We started with 15 in the city of Atlanta. And long before it, we knew it, we were uh, placing hand washing stations in 100 cities around the country. Um, and we still have uh, thousands of hand washing stations out operating with uh, a lot of our partners today. That's such a great story because, like, just you said, giving just giving people access to you know the dignity of being able to wash their hands. That's right. That's right. And before we dive into your book, let me ask one more question. I'm a pastor. We have lots of pastors who listen to the show. 
what would you say to pastors who want to deal with people who you say are unhoused? They want to help, but they don't know how to start. They don't, they, they want to help provide dignity. What, what would you tell a pastor or a church leader to do just to start? Yeah. Well, I, I remember, um, we had a similar question come up here recently. And so, uh, we kind of encouraged the church, uh, to find the uniqueness of what that church, uh, had within the congregation. And, uh, I'll never forget. It was a smaller church, but, uh, they had a group of older, uh, uh, ladies who loved to get together and like, uh, pack things and knit, uh, blankets and all of these things. And so they started with something as simple as that. And it turned into the whole church literally showing up, uh, during the coldest parts of, uh, the year to provide blankets and socks and all of these things in a very practical, but tangible way, uh, to their neighbors without an address. Mm-hmm. And I've seen you, uh, churches do a lot of unique things, but I think the real essence is find what the congregation or the, your context, uh, has to offer and then leverage that to the glory of God in a very mm-hmm. small and practical way. Oh, thanks for that. That's really good. Now in June, uh, I believe it's in June. You have a new book coming out called All God's Children. So congratulations on that. Tell us the heartbeat behind the book. Tell us the point, uh, the message of the book. Yeah, I, I think the heartbeat of the book is we are in perilous times. Uh, you know, more than ever, people are racially divided, politically divided. And I'm, you know, calling people to stand in solidarity with one another Um no matter what social location or background that you come from, because I think in essence, that is what is going to glorify God the most. Uh, when we are together, when we are uh, confronting uh, hard subjects and issues, uh, but we are still embodying uh, what it means to love one another. Uh, that is my message. And we can't do that without uh, with ignoring uh, some of the harsh realities that we're seeing today. And I think, um, you know, the more that we learn what solidarity looks like in terms of lamenting with one another, uh, listening to one another and some of the very practical things, uh, that's that's when we'll start to see the healing that we really desire to see. Yeah, let's unpack that a little bit more. And I know obviously your book gets into this, but that word solidarity uh unpack that somewhere. What does that look like? Because you said part of it's looking back because a lot of us, a lot of people are probably like, let's just look forward. Let's just, you know, be unified or whatever. But there seems to be a looking back. Uh, help us understand why that's important. Yeah. Well, I think uh, looking back, uh, there is a, um, a a bird, an African symbol. It's called the Sankofa bird. Uh, mm-hmm. And it has Ghana uh, roots and so the the body of the bird is facing forward and the head is actually looking back. And oh. it is sim- it's symbolic of that as we progress forward, we can never forget where we have come from. Mm. Um, and uh, the powerful message is in that uh, we learn from our past. We learn uh, past mistakes. We learn wisdom. Uh, we learn how to chart new territory as we progress um, we learn how to not repeat some of the same things. And I think that's uh, 
the the essence of why confronting parts of history and confronting parts of uh, of, of the past that has uh, caused some of the residue to show up in how we uh, see things are happening in society is important because mm. it gives us an opportunity to lament with others, to listen uh, to others, to learn from others, to immerse ourselves in the context of how someone else is experiencing life. It gives us an opportunity to show compassion and empathy, empathy and stand alongside or others. But it also gives us uh, this real unique way of understanding how to leverage our voice. Uh, to also be um, advocates uh, with our friends who may uh, be facing hardships, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What w- Let's try to look into the future. This might be a weird question, but a generation from now, right? What would you need to see that makes you go, hey, the church is getting it. Like, we've grown. We're not perfect, but but we're solidarity, like the stuff you're talking about, what, what are some markers that would make you go? Yeah, this is, this is actually happening. Yeah. I mean, can, can I be honest on here? Yep. Absolutely. Please. Yeah. I was, uh, I was considered a, uh, a staff pastor communicator at a predominantly white church. And, um, I'll never forget um, it was a, around the time when Philando Castile was uh, killed and some of the other um, uh, persons who looked like me. And mm-hmm. I remember walking in the church and instead of being asked, you know, how has this traumatized you? Uh, because there is a sort of collective trauma when you are black and you see someone else it, uh, uh, experience some type of harm and violence just based upon the historical trauma that has ha- happened to the black community. But I walked in that church, nobody said anything. Hmm. And not only that, I was asked to get on stage and give a talk about being a reconciler. Uh, and nobody checked on my soul. Nobody hmm. asked how I was doing. And I was supposed to communicate uh, these narratives uh, that was hurting me and also hurting the community that I emerged from. There was no mm. solidarity there. Uh, mm. You asked the question, what does it look like? Mm. I think it's a place where people who are black and brown can come in a church and lament without fear of having backlash. Uh, mm. It's a place where the love of God has the, enough power and enough weight to handle the tragedies of black and brown people in the context of a church. It has enough uh, weight that causes the type of solidarity that literally um, where a community of people feel stood with in times of tragedy and mourning, Um, you know, and I think that is the, the way that I envision the church being, Uh, Not a place that we should run from, but a place that we should run to. Um, And I I tell you that story because it is it's very real to me. And I still feel um, the trauma and the experience of that uh, from microaggressive questions and all of those things in my body to date. And I'm writing about these things in this book in a real intangible way, because there was times as a black man when I was in church 
and I did not feel seen. And I know that grieves the heart of God. So um, you talk about the God of seeing, right? Mm -hmm. We also have to make sure that our black and brown neighbors feel seen in those types of spaces. I really appreciate you sharing that story. Um, I'm just curious, what was the result of that for you? What what did you do? Like, did you leave the church? Not even that particular church, but you're like, I'm done with church? Or you like... I'm used to this. I have to dig in. Uh, you know, I'm just curious. What? How did you respond to that? Well, you know, um, I write about this in a book. You know, around right. the same time, I was also uh, a, a considered a pastor at a historically black church. Right <laughs> at the same time, so wow. imagine the dichotomous ex- experience of going in predominantly white spaces. And having all the questions, why are we still here? What does history have to do with this? Um, you know, all of the questions, right? And then going into a predominantly black uh, worship experience where um, justice and lament are part of the liturgy because I can't mm. separate being black from being Christian. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's yeah. like, uh, I found unique spaces like that that. Um, was able to listen to my heart's cry, but it still grieved my heart mm-hmm. that uh, my brothers and sisters who are white in uh, these types of spaces weren't uh, allowing or uh, even engaging in the depths of conversation that needed to be had. And so to answer your question, um, I eventually left that space because it became really harmful. Mm. Uh and so I don't ask this last question flippantly hearing your story, uh, but you're writing, you're trying to make change. You're trying to highlight these things. And I guess I don't know how else to ask the question, but are you hopeful? Are you hopeful that change is coming or maybe just in pockets? Where's your hope as it relates to the church in general? Well, I believe in uh, I'm a follower of Jesus, so mm-hmm. I'm always hopeful. I'm hopeful that God still has the power to redeem and to restore and to um, heal hearts and to uh, build friendships and to create the type of compassion needed in the context of church. Um, I am very uh, grounded in my faith, uh, Mm. which is one of the reasons why I am still fighting for change and fighting for uh, this type of solidarity that is needed to um, really um, be an example of what this looks like from a Christian's perspective. And if we are not modeling that, then we, uh, we've got a lot of work to do. So yeah. I'm hopeful that we can get Good. it together. Yeah. I can't wait to read the book. The book again uh, from Dr. Terrence Lester is called All God's Children. Terrence, uh, where can people connect with you, whether it be website, social media, wherever else? If people were like, I, I want to hear more of what he has to say, where can people connect with you? Yeah, so they can look me up, TerrenceLester.com, or if they want to check me out on social media, that's I'm Terrence Lester, uh, I-M-T-E-R-E-N-C-E-L-E-S-T-E-R. Awesome. And we encourage people to, but you probably, I'm sure, pre-order the book at least soon or what comes out in June called All God's Children. Terrence, this was wonderful, man. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Thank you.
You're listening to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Uh, I just mentioned it, but I would encourage you here, kind of about 10 or 15 minutes, we're going to be joined by Drew Jackson, the author of Touch the Earth, Poems on the Way. If you're like me and you hear poems, you're immediately like, well, that's not for me. I promise you, give him a listen, because he's going to convince you by the end, yes, you are. Poems help us see something about God. Uh, they, they are different than like a commentary. He, he's writing poems out of the gospel of the book of, uh, of the gospel of Luke and, uh, Really excited to talk to Drew because I think he's going to stretch our minds a little bit and go, okay, I know we do commentaries, we do sermons, all of which are important, uh, but is there something else, another way to interact with the text? So uh, excited to talk to Drew Jackson next to talk about Touch the Earth. But before we do that, I saw something online uh, that had some staggering statistics. We read this. More Protestant congregations close than open in a year in America. According to Lifeway Research, uh, in 2019, so this is even pre-pandemic, 4,500 churches closed their doors while 3,000 churches were started. Uh, And so as they face these closures, the question is, what do you do? What do you do? Do you, uh, what do we do, especially with churches that are dying? Uh, churches, I think we read earlier this year coming out of the pandemic that the average evangelical church across the country uh, was well under 100 people, 70 people, something like that. And so uh, what do we do with these, especially older churches, a ton of them in nice buildings, but also who have a history who are probably lamenting the fact and grieving the fact that they are closing or maybe not going to make it. Is there a better strategy than just closing the doors? And I would suggest that there is. Could the answer be um, restarting new churches in these old traditional churches, welcoming in a church plant? To say, hey, come meet here, come take, start something new here. We believe God has something for this building. Is there, are there churches that can merge? Are there churches that can uh, close and say, hey, come take our, what are the strategies? I want to talk specifically to people out there who might be in churches that are struggling. Is there a kingdom strategy that says there is something that we can do with our church proactively rather than just close the doors? Because What happens to this church when it closes the door? Or maybe you're not closing the doors, but you're sticking with 10 people, 20 people. Is there something you can do that is going to be a blessing to the community? It's going to be a blessing to another church, and it's going to further God's kingdom and the advance of the gospel in your neighborhood. Like, is that our goal? Is our goal the advancement of gospel in the gospel in our communities? And therefore, how is our church? How is our building? How is our, 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 our location? best leveraged creatively, not just so that we can have our church continue going, but so that we can continue 
to see God's uh, see the good news of the gospel proclaimed and people come to Christ and brought on to the discipleship journey. I would say this. Uh, I, I am part of a church. I started. Uh, I'm the lead pastor of a church called Four Corners Community Church. We started 13 years ago and we have since day one met in a warehouse. We rebuilt this warehouse uh, just south of Downers Grove in Darien, Illinois. Um, but our lease is up in a year. And so when I read this article, it got me thinking, like, this is where our church is at. What are we going to do? And one of the strategies, we've tried to talk about having multiple streams of strategy here, right? We're going to talk to schools. We'll talk to business owners. We'll talk to uh, whatever else it be. But one of the things that I've done is to reach out to every church in the community within like a five-mile radius and say, is there anything creative we can do together? Everything from merging to maybe you're closing your church to maybe we can rent your church, whatever else it might be. And it's got me just dreaming and thinking more about what does teamwork look like? So many of us, are, we treat our churches as if they're just like their own thing that's just out there, just doing, and there's no connection with other churches. And one of the things that I've been really encouraged by is the number of local pastors who have called me and said, Hey, I don't have a building. I don't have anything. I don't, but I'd love to go out and dream with you. And so we've gone to lunch and we talk and I've gotten to know other pastors who I should have gotten to know a long time ago in my community. But we've begun talking about like, what could, what, what could a partnership look like? What could this, and there are some churches we talked to, what could a merge look like? What could, and it's been fascinating to me, and it's really gotten me thinking, what would the effect be on the kingdom if established churches, if dying churches, if church plants, if whatever, were, were working in conjunction with one another to say, hey, let's talk before we ever get to the spot where we are, quote unquote, dying. Let's talk about we've got this beautiful building, but it sits empty most of the time. Uh, let's talk about what even it would look like to collaborate on uh, services or events or outreaches or gospel initiative, whatever else it might be. But the church does really badly at this. We do not team up well. But what would it look like if we did? Maybe maybe we don't. Uh, maybe my church can't run a a VBS, but the one up the road, the church up the road, uh, has that kind of facilities. And what would it look like instead of both of us doing our own small VBSs to do one big one together? And what would the fruit of that be in our churches as they see this collaboration? Uh, what would it look like to gather with somebody else? for a worship service in the summer or to uh, clean the neighborhood or to do some sort of community outreach, whatever else it might be. There's a million ideas, but here's what happens. I'm a pastor. I know that this is what happens. We get so just busy and looking at our own issues and our own things that we just lose perspective, that we've got teammates around. We're in this together with other people that we've got uh, this is about not am I bigger than that church up the road or are we doing better programming than that church? We get this weird air of competition, but rather than it be a competition, are we in this together for the sake of our community, for the sake of the of people coming to know Jesus? And is that best done 
doing random things with other churches or maybe even combining with other churches. I don't think churches just need to die and go away, but we need to see in advance that there's opportunities out there. There are things that can be done. There are combinations. There are things we can do with other churches, all in the name of gospel unity. We're so fragmented and we're so myopic. We just stare at our own thing. But may that not be the case. Let's be men and women, pastors, elders, leaders uh, who, who do stuff for the sake of the kingdom with the brothers and sisters in Christ around us. Well, coming up next, the author of a poetry book called Touch the Earth Poems on the Way, Drew Jackson. He, I can't wait to talk to him because this book is fascinating. The kind of poetry reflecting on the gospel of Luke. We're going to talk to Drew Jackson next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. It's so good to have you with us today. Uh, And we are thrilled to be joined by the author of Touch the Earth, Poems on the Way, uh, all the way from Brooklyn, New York. His name is Drew Jackson. Drew, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Brian. Thanks for having me on. It's good to be here. It is my pleasure. Uh, Before we dive into the book that came out back in January, uh, let's just get to know you. Tell us, uh, introduce yourself. Tell us uh, who you are, uh, what it is that you do. Yeah, so I am, like you said, here in Brooklyn, New York with my family, my wife, Janae, and we have... uh, twin eight-year-old daughters. I've uh, been in New York for about six years total before we were in Lower Manhattan. I was pastoring a church. We planted a church in the East Village neighborhood over there, um, just transitioning out of that now and doing some work with the Center for Action and Contemplation and writing poetry. So that's that's what I do. Uh, that is quite the resume, my friend. That is quite the <laughs> resume. Uh, people on this show know this. Uh, I'm 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 prepared for you to tell me that you're a Yankee fan, but I'm a diehard Mets fan. Like, do, do you do you Leia? Are you either? What, what are you? <laughs> well, um, I'm so I'm not a huge baseball fan, but sure. I do. But I root for. Um, so I I grew up I grew up in Jersey on the fil- on the the like down by Philly. So I'm a Phillies <laughs> yes. fan. I'm a Phillies All fan. Right, we're we're going to need to end this interview quickly. <laughs> <laughs> we're not going to be able to continue this, but uh, all right, we'll 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 let that pass. Uh, again, the book is called Touch the Earth: Poems on the Way. Tell us kind of a 50,000 foot. Tell us about this book because there could be people, I'm sure you get this all the time, people going, "Oh, poetry, not my yeah. thing." But yeah. uh, we want people to hear this. We want people to get this book. So tell us more about the book. Yeah, I would love to. So um, this book is uh, the second in a series. So the, the, the first one's called God Speaks Through Wombs, um, Poems on God's Unexpected Coming. And both of these collections are in conversation with the Gospel of Luke. So mm-hmm. the first the first book is, is you know, talking with the first eight chapters of Luke's Gospel and Touch the Earth goes through the rest of it. So chapter nine through 24. And um in these poems, I, they're not meant to be a commentary on on Luke, but I, I, it's more of me bringing my full self and sort of imagination and curiosity um, mm. to to the text, um, wanting to not check who I am and the fullness of who God has created me to be mm. as a black man who's living in America and navigating all that comes with that. Um, and my own sort of interest and curiosities, bringing that to the text, asking questions, sitting in the mystery of it. And um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it was really birthed out of, I started writing uh, these books back 
at the beginning of the pandemic during lockdown, I needed uh, a spiritual practice, I would say, that was spacious enough to hold the questions that all of us were wrestling with. Poetry became that for me. And so um, I started writing and um, these books were born. Yeah. Poetry, it's so interesting to me. Has this always been something that you have been interested in? Has it always been something you've done? Or was this like literally something you picked up during the pandemic? Well, yes and no. So I... um I started writing in the form, you know, the form I'm writing more formal poetry. Um, yeah, at the beginning of the pandemic. But I, you know, I've been interested in words and wordplay for a long time. And so I, I, I would say my first sort of poetic writing was back in college when I was writing uh, song lyrics, hip hop lyrics. I was just I would write all the time. Um, and then I, I once I graduated and sort of stepped into full time ministry work, I, most of my writing was sermon writing. Um, yep. but something about the beginning of the pandemic sparked that, you know, return to the poetic for me. Um, yeah. Yeah. Help me understand. Uh, yeah. Sermon writing. Very different. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, at times. Right. But Unf- yeah. uh, help me understand when you write poetry, what does it do to your view of God? Like, what is it? Mm. What does it spark in you for you writing it? Let alone. And then we'll talk about when people read about it in poetry yeah. form. But talk to me about you writing it. Yeah. So I I love that question. Um, It's when I'm writing it, it, it's it's inviting me deeper into the mystery of God, I would Mm. say Um, that that when it comes to how we are viewing God and relating to God, it's not necessarily like there is no coming to the end of God, right? There is this (laughs) mystery that we're going deeper into, deeper into, deeper into, and that we don't always need an answer. It's okay to sit with a question and that within the question oftentimes is where transformation happens for us as we linger with the questions and not reach so quickly for an answer to hold on to um and so yeah i think poetry has been a space where i've been allowed to do that explore that in in writing poetry you just hit on something that i think so important uh yeah, I grew up in the church. I grew up a Christian, uh, and I, I don't know that I ever, no one ever explicitly said this to me, mm-hmm. but I then went to Wheaton College, like, right, I, I did all this. Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea of having questions unanswered was never really part of my mindset, right? Like, mm-hmm. if you have a question, you either get it answered or you don't admit it, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, because it's got to be a problem <laughs> with me. Yeah. Unpack that for people, because people might be listening being like, questions like I'm not supposed to have questions about God help people uh, unpack that a little bit more yeah well you know when we when we talk about being followers of Jesus the word we use is disciple right and Mm. and that's that is essentially a student right the essence of being a student is curiosity it's Mm. questions it's staying with it's, it's staying with them it's coming back to them and when you see how Jesus is uh you know, leading people, working with people and working with his disciples, it's he, he's always offering more questions than providing a concrete answer. And that's right. maybe that's through a parable he tells that he sort of leaves and just says, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Right. Um, or uh, just it, I don't know how many questions Jesus asked through the Gospels, but it's probably the, the thing that he does more than anything. And I think that um 
questions frustrate us because we we feel like we need some something concrete, something that gives us security. Yeah. But there is something uh, about that posture of being a question. Like my, you know, I have eight year old daughters, and they are so curious about everything. They ask so many questions. Um, and I think that's part of the, the heart of when Jesus says like, you know, if you, if you want to inherit the kingdom of God, you must become like a child, right? There's that Ooh. curiosity and that staying with the question and not afraid to ask it that I think is at the heart of this following Jesus thing of this being human thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So let's close here. Cause, uh, there's probably people out there like I've never read a book of poetry, like never anything centered around poetry. And it might be, yeah. oh, I don't want to. So uh, talk a little, lastly, just a little bit more about style, but also the the purpose of the book, that being to kind of give us a big view of God, the book yeah. of Luke. So help people just uh, who maybe have never really ever purchased a book on poetry. Mm-hmm. Uh, g- give them the sell on it. How's that sound? <laughs> yeah. So uh, like I said, um, these, these books are in conversation with Luke and what I wanted to do, I was really inspired by uh, the Psalms, right? So mm-hmm. the, um, the, the ancient rabbis used to talk about how the five books of the Psalter were in conversation with the five books of Torah. And mm-hmm. they, they weren't commentaries on them, but in conversation with the themes of those. And so I was sitting in book two of the Psalms. So that's Psalm chapter 40 through 72. And I started to reread them with the backdrop of the themes of the book of Exodus. Mm-hmm. And they sounded and landed so differently. There was, you know, when wow. you hear, when you hear, right, uh, you know, that I'm thirsting for God in a dry and weary land where there is no water. That sounds one way when I'm reading it is just like a personal reflection on me. But it sounds very different when I'm reading it as the, the journey of the people of God from slavery to freedom. Like, what does that mean? Right. How are we resonating with that as people in the wilderness longing for freedom? Right. So I wanted to. uh play with like what would it feel like and sound like if the gospels gave rise to poetry today how would that Mm. feel and so that's what this book is and and i'm bringing like i said my full self to that and just um walking through the gospel of luke so i I might take a verse or i might take a section of verses and just reflect on them or just see where they take me um and so that's what this book is that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. I can't encourage you enough. Go out there to get Touch the Earth, Poems on the Way. The author is Drew Jackson. Drew, it's wonderful to meet you, man. I'm going to trust that you're not an Eagle fan, but I can't ask you that question because it can't, can't get I'm a, I'm a Packers way. fan. There we go. Well, now you're sailing in our audience. <laughs> yes. yes. Drew, great to meet you, man. Thanks for spending some time with us. Thanks, Brian. Yep. You're listening to The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.